Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Let's get some instant reaction because of Granite Xhaka. So let's quickly uh, hear from him. He's with Des. Granite, we can see from those celebrators, the rain's not stopping that kind of happiness there. That's a big win, isn't it? You see the atmosphere, it's fucking unbelievable. Um, I, sorry, but, sorry about sorry. the language. <laughs> That's one. <laughs> Carry on. Yeah. It's fucking unbelievable. Unbelievable. This is Arsecast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra as always with James from Gunnerblog. James. Goodly morning. The goodliest morning you can have. <laughs> How lovely to hear that again. Our old friend Gilbert. Rest in peace. Rest uh, in peace, Gilbert. Uh, yeah. What? Uh, how are you I guess feeling? He'll always be remembered for that goodly morning. Well, that's uh, it. That's yeah. it. You know, uh, what a his, legacy. his entire career is boiled down to saying goodly morning on a football podcast for two blokes he never met. Uh, yeah. Amazing. How are you feeling this morning? Very goodly. Very, very good. Fantastic. <laughs> um, I feel excellent. I had a terrific day uh, yesterday. It's not, it's not work when it's like that. It's a joy and a pleasure. And I was thrilled. Um, and for those wondering, I did manage to see my brother pre and post match, which um, <laughs> really, you know, drove the. That was the icing on the cake. Sure. What well, What did he make of it? To be fair, I mean, he must have, you know, acknowledged that Arsenal were good and Chelsea were not that good. Um, it's interesting, you know, because um, I was like, "Wow, Arsenal were good, weren't they?" And he was much more focused on Chelsea were not good. And, and you know, that's not an element of the match or conversation I imagine we'll spend very much time on because we're not that interested in it. No. But um, I think it's true, though. I think I there think is something true. to that. Um, you know, you could put, you could say that they were not good because we were really good and we made them not good. But I think there were moments where they could have been better but weren't. Um, but like you say, I couldn't give a fuck. Uh, about them, really. Um, They've got a lot of players out as well. But I think what the, the the way in which it does relate to Arsenal is that, you know, what you had very clearly there was a team with a very clear idea of how they play and a very, yeah. you know, almost intuitive at this point understanding of a system and an approach and, you know, where each other are on the field, all those kinds of things. And Chelsea looked like a team looking for that and with a manager who is making quite radical changes game to game uh, and it's quite chaotic at the present point in time mm. whereas Arsenal looked like a very very finely oiled machine and um, yeah I think begrudgingly uh, he did have to admit <laughs> in the end that Arsenal did look quite good it is it is a weird thing isn't it to, to think about like well Chelsea are a bit of a work in progress you know they only spent 
quarter of a billion pounds yeah. in the last transfer window. Nobody could expect them to be good yet. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, there's. I, I get that there's this sort of uh, new manager and all that kind of stuff, but you sort of run out of excuses to an extent when you've spent that amount of money. And even with the injuries they had, I was looking at their bench yesterday going, Oh, I see. They've got Ziyech. They've got Pulisic. They've got Gallagher. They've got uh, Broja. They've got you know. They've got plenty of of good players on the pitch and on the bench as well. Um, oh yeah, no doubt. I don't expect there'll be much sympathy for them. Um, and it's interesting, you know, a lot of the questions in Graham Potter's press conference after the game were about you know. You know, Mikel Arteta, this was his 150th game. It's taken him time. Do you think you're going to need that time? Are you going to get that time? They've hired a kind of project manager, but they've never really been a project club. So mm. how exactly those things will intersect uh, is going to be really interesting. But who cares? <laughs> I mean, really, this is all about Arsenal. No two ways about it. Because, look, we won there last year, and it was tremendous fun, if you remember. Late on, there was a penalty from Bakayo Saka. Eddie Nketiah scored a couple of goals. And, it, you know, that win came at a time. Was that just after the the three defeats in a row? Yeah, it, we went there sort of expecting the death knell for our season, mm. really, and produced a win from nothing and we'd won the previous season there as well so our, our record at Stamford yeah. Bridge it's becoming a lovely place for us to go as it was I think in the 90s for a period true but but I think what I was going to say was that you know we won there last season it was much more of an end-to-end game mm. um, previous season I think it was a Smith Rowe goal was it fairly early on in the game when we hung on for a, for a 1-0 but you know, especially after what happened against Manchester United, when we went away, we played really well, I think, against Manchester United, but came off with a 3-1 defeat, which I don't think we deserve. But, you know, that's football. That can happen. So I think people were looking at this one and saying, well, look, they, they've beaten Spurs um, and then they've played a big team uh, and beaten Liverpool. But can they do it away from home in the league? Yeah. And the answer very clearly is Yes. But what I think is really interesting about this game is just how on top and in control Arsenal were from start to finish. And the point you made about sort of an intuitive element to the way that Arsenal play is a really good one. And I, I spoke about this a bit in the blog today because... You know, people have talked about, well, this Arsenal team has got much more character. It's got much more belief. I was watching a bit of Match of the Day 2 this morning and, and Micah Richards was on talking about, you know, the mentality and all this kind of stuff about the Arsenal team. And I think, you know, clearly there is something to that. You can't ignore that there are, in inverted commas, soft factors that we can't measure, but we know they're there. There is momentum. There is spirit. There is belief. You can see those things in the way that the team reacts, you know, to the final whistle, the way they reacted to the goal, the way they react in in certain in-game situations but I think what we really need to talk about is just how good technically this team is this is a good football team that passage of play that led to the Gabriel Jesus chance I think tells you everything you need to know about Arsenal at this moment in time the the calmness 
the assurance, the way we played some, like, what was it, three or four one-touch passes to get us from the edge of our box mm. to the halfway line. Granit Xhaka takes it on, Martinelli the cross, and Gabriel Jesus, and I'm sure we'll talk about this in a bit, you know, would have been one of the goals of the season. But that is a team that is absolutely... in tune, confident of where they need to be on the pitch, how they need to operate in tight situations. And it doesn't happen by accident. You know, there's a lot of um, work that needs to happen on the training ground to get you into that sort of a a situation. But, But there's a sort of, I don't know, a hive mind to the way that Arsenal are operating right now and that they're confident in each other, but also confident in what they're being drilled on and coached on. And we're we're seeing that in games now, that this is a really good football team for all that you want to say about their mentality and their character and their spirit and their belief. These boys can play in a big, big way. Definitely, definitely. I, I think that was really evident. Some of the, the short passing moves that you referenced in this match. Um, and I think you've got to take your hat off to the manager. Chapeau, I guess. Chapeau, because mm. uh, he has instilled these principles of play, which have provided the foundation. And I, I said this to you on text message last night, but, you know, this conversation of like, our oh, Arsenal a potential title winning team? I do think there's now a lot of players in that eleven who could play in a title winning team mm-hmm. you know like it, if you think about people like you know Ben White or Saliba or Martin Odegaard or Gabriel Jesus could you drop them into a team that historically you can imagine winning the league absolutely to be honest i think you could extend that pretty much across the 11 uh, and whether or not they are as a collective a title winning team at this point in time i don't know but the level of quality has come up so dramatically. And I think the system is sort of the rising tide that is that is lifting them as well. Mm. Um, so together, it's a very, very powerful uh, cocktail. And, and I thought yesterday was a really consummate performance. We, I think we sort of battered them 1-0, really. Yeah, I think that's um, fair. And I think it should have been a greater margin of victory, probably. And the level of control that we exerted, I thought was incredibly impressive. I mean, if you go away in any Premier League game, go away to Leeds, you go away to Southampton, if it's a one-goal lead, you expect a period of time where, you know, you're going to come under the cosh. They're going to exert some pressure. I mean, that last 10 minutes for Arsenal was relatively serene. Mm. That's an incredibly difficult thing to do. And I think as well, you know, I'm sure we'll come to it, but the way they managed that period of the game spoke to another element of this team, which does chime more with kind of Michael Richards' assessment maybe of maturity and game management, understanding the situation, keeping their heads. I thought in that respect, they were also really impressive against Chelsea. I agree. And I think, a lot is said about the the age of this team, and it is, in general, a, a very young team. But I think there are two key components in central midfield which play directly into what you're talking about there. You know, the control. Obviously, Thomas Partey in midfield yesterday, absolutely 
bossed it from start to finish. Um, an impeccable performance. And, you know, I think overall this is, you know, maybe another marker in the the progression of this Arsenal team in terms of how seriously people take what's going on because from the outside there's always a tendency I think to say well you know Arsenal are going quite well but you know it'll come off the rails eventually Arsenal are going to Arsenal and all that kind of stuff but you know we're watching this very closely we're we've lived this progress for the last two years two and a half years whatever it is through some difficult times under Mikel Arteta and and you know we we are feeling this now because we know what came before but I think in Partey and Shaka We've got two very experienced cogs in the machine, which are really, really important. And you can talk all day long, and I'm happy to do it, about Gabriel Jesus and what he's brought to the team, Zinchenko, what he's brought to the team, Saliba, what he's brought to the team, these partnerships, these, these, you know, this back four that has developed and, and all those things. You can talk about that, but I do think these two guys are really, really important in terms of how we play and also how we manage Games, those last 10 minutes that you mentioned, I mean, I thought the the Xhaka stuff at the end, if that doesn't speak to a sort of new, mature granite Xhaka, then I don't know what does. Because maybe he got a little bit feisty. Maybe he had to be carried away or talked out of, you know, reacting a bit. But what he did was absolutely shithouse Chelsea in the last couple of minutes of the game. So they're focused on him. Jorginho chirping away at him. You know, this. Oh, what are you doing? You can't do that. You can't gesture to your own fans. And he's like, Oh, did the cameras get that? I was yeah. hoping they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he yeah. was basically revving the fans up and yeah, Jorginho, Jorginho was yeah. trying to talk him down. Yeah. yeah, it was great. We saw that on the camera and it's just like, you know, Chelsea are now focused on Granit Xhaka. Chelsea, you know, they're not laser focused on getting the equalizing goal that, you know, would have been an injustice, I think, on the balance of the game. But when it is 1-0, you, you know, you, you're vulnerable to that, right? We know that. But I thought that was fantastic. I thought it really was. I just thought the stuff in the corner was 100%. I thought he was in complete control. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know if you've seen it back yet, but there's, you know, he's standing there. Is it Chalabar that he's sort of wrestling yeah. with a bit? He's, he's not letting Chalabar get the ball the ball back to the goalkeeper. Um, but then Kovacic comes over and gives him a push, and he's just standing there, standing there looking at him. And it's, it's not like previous iterations of Granit Xhaka where he might have started that kind of thing but then got himself wound up and done something a bit silly, you know? Mm. So I think well, as we saw on our goal, sometimes just standing there is enough. Uh, <laughs> but I, 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 um, I thought it was really smart. I mean, the board went up five mm. minutes. Xhaka went over in the corner, started a fuss over the ball, ate up about 90 seconds of that. And, you know, as much as you expect to see it added on in the end, I think you do... You do end up buying time with that sort of tactic. You do end up slowing the momentum of the opposition. Mm. I thought it was 100% deliberate and uh, 100% controlled. And I thought it was great. Yeah. And and I agree, those two in midfield, you know, they are sort of um, the... They are the, the sort of solid uh, base for this team, really. They are kind of its foundation. They are sort of the... The, the dad figures on the pitch. And I think um, I, I would probably include Martin Odegaard to an extent in that, just mm. just because I think as a midfield three, I think it basically has been true for some time that if Arsenal can get those three on the pitch at the same time, we're pretty decent. Um, 
I think they're incredibly important and uh, were a massive part of the win yesterday. But honestly, it, you'd be remiss to sort of not mention any department of the team because everybody did play their part. Yeah, I mean, I think we should talk about the front four, really. Um, and Gabriel Jesus, maybe in particular, when you, you know, sometimes the centre forward can be isolated in a game. You know, we've talked before about maybe someone like Aubameyang, right? He needs service. This is how you get him involved in the game, and uh, no doubt we'll have a, a word or two about him in a minute. But Gabriel Jesus yesterday, I think, put in one of the most accomplished centre-forward performances that you will ever see, even though he didn't get a goal. He should have scored, I think. He should have scored the the header from Martinelli. Um, you know, a really good chance blocked by Thiago Silva, who I, I'm, you know, I, I very rarely watch a, an Arsenal game and come away impressed and slightly in awe of an opposition player. But I did yesterday with, with Thiago Silva, not least because he's 38 years of age. And I think without him, that battering wouldn't have been 1-0. It would have been 3 or 4-0 yesterday. But he made a great block on... Jesus, when he ran across the box, there was the shot that was saved at the near post. I think he almost got on the end of that Ben White shot that went uh, wide, <clears throat> excuse me, in, in the first half, if you remember. Mm-hmm. So he was there. But, but when you look at the amount of touches, like who's got the most touches in our team yesterday? Thomas Partey, 74. Then you've got Saliba, uh, Gabrielle at the back, and Ben White with 70, 71 each. But next... Um, is Gabriel Jesus with 63 yeah. touches of the ball. And the way he activated our press, the way he held the ball up, the way he brought others into play, you know, I know he's gone a good few games without a goal and that's not sustainable, I don't think, in in the long run because you need your centre forward to score goals and, you know, it will become an issue at some point. But when he does what he does yesterday, it's absolutely selfless, play from a guy who's gone eight games without a goal and the easiest thing for him to do would have been to like conserve energy I'll see if I can sneak in between a couple of central defenders I'll just sort of you know not get as involved and hope the play breaks and I'll capitalize on that and then I'll get the goal that I need but every single thing he did yesterday was for the benefit of the team and it's unbelievable to watch yeah he's a manager's dream I do think that and you can tell the way Arteta talks about him he considers him like that I think Guardiola did. Even Scott Parker in the BT studio, I think he said he's the model number nine. Mm. Um, And I do think our conversations about him of late are maybe a little bit distorted by the scoring feats of Erling Haaland. You know, I think maybe in the kind of general public consciousness, it's created this idea that your number nine has to be a a 40-goal-a-season striker. Um, which isn't actually how hasn't been the reality for most teams in modern football for a while now. It's mm. often about making a, a broader contribution to the team, and you can't make a much broader contribution to the team than what Jesus did at Stamford Bridge. Um, yeah, sixty odd touches, wasn't it? As compared to Aubameyang's eight. I mean, I don't think anything <laughs> could illustrate the sort of evolution in how Arsenal use the centre forward position greater than that stat. Um, you know, that's more touches than Granit Xhaka, more touches than um, Martin Odegaard. 
Yeah. And, and, and actually, I don't know, again, how, how clear this was on the TV pictures, but there was some really interesting stuff happening with Jesus positionally in this game. He he spent a lot of time uh, kind of pulling out to the left touchline in almost Thierry Henry mm. fashion. And Gabriel Martinelli actually, in a lot of phases of the play, was very central. Yeah, um, I was going to ask you about that because there were a couple of moments... Um was it in the could be the first half I can't quite remember but Martinelli was playing almost like a central midfielder yeah and this sort of I don't know if it was because we couldn't see the whole pitch obviously on TV but whether there was a rotational element to those um you know those positional differences um I mean I think it speaks in some way to how comfortable the players are with the system that they can operate in these different positions and drop in and drop out and shift over and shift across. Cause I remember at one point Saka was at center forward and Gabriel Jesus was on the right-hand side. Um, but yeah, I mean, from your perspective, you know, with a wider view of the pitch, how, how frequent was that, um, that sort of movement from these players? It was pretty frequent and it was often in sort of the earlier stages of Arsenal's build-up. So when, you know, the goalkeeper or centre-halves had the ball, Martinelli would make these curved runs into the central space and Jesus would pull more to the left. I don't know if it was just to disrupt the Chelsea back line to try and create an overload on that left-hand side where they had Zinchenko and Shaka as well. Um, it was quite successful. And, and you know, it, it did, as a consequence, mean that Jesus spent probably less time in the penalty area than we're accustomed to. I mean, I'd be curious to know as a ratio, you know, was his touches inside the penalty box lower than than we've seen in some other games. You know, he was doing a lot of work outside the box yesterday, maybe even more so than we're mm. used to seeing. But I thought it was relatively successful, to be honest. And yeah, his overall contribution was fantastic. I mean, there was one moment where, where you know, Zinchenko miscontrols the ball in the left-back spot and, Zinch and Jesus is there to bail him out. Um, I, I do think that the goals thing, it is always going to be an ongoing conversation as long as he doesn't score. But it's difficult to get too worked up about it when he brings so much else. I mean, one of the striking differences between Arsenal and Chelsea yesterday was how high up the pitch Arsenal were winning the ball. Yeah. And Jesus's role in that. I mean, at least a couple of the chances he had uh, against Chelsea came from him winning the ball back himself in their third, you know. Um, and our goal, in fact came from one of those from yeah. him winning the corner they said so, on match of the day too that Arsenal produced 16 high turnovers I think they called them yeah. which is 16 times winning the ball back in the in the final third which is the most that we've done uh, in any game this season yeah and and I think um, I did see a figure for Chelsea's but Chelsea's was you know like a handful I, it was like mm. you know they, they managed to do that three or four times, I think maybe five times in the game. So it was a stark difference between the two teams. And Jesus is the leader. He is the leader of that attacking unit. And, you know, we love Saka, we love Martinelli, but I think it must be invaluable for them to have a guy like Jesus who works that hard, but also works that intelligently. We've all seen players who can run around all day, but it's quite ineffective. Mm. Jesus is so smart, like where he presses, when he presses, the lanes that he cuts off, his tactical understanding of the game 
and maybe it's no surprise given the kind of drilling he's had and the coaches he's worked under, is so good. I think for Martinelli and, and Saka, they couldn't really have uh, a better role model there for them. No, I agree. And I think you're when you call it a unit, I think that's absolutely right as well, because it is a unit. You know, the the famous back four with a rope tied around them, you know, working working the offside trap could almost apply to the way that these guys were coordinated in the, in the way that they pressed Chelsea and the way that they didn't let them out. And, you know, how many times did Thiago Silva come out with the ball, look up and have nothing? He had nothing ahead of him. Yeah, um, and, and we know Arteta thinks about the team in, in units. There's that great bit in um, All or Nothing where he's chatting to Cedric, of all people, and he says, how do you remember your phone number? Do you do you remember it in threes or fours? Mm. And Cedric is like trying to say, he's like, who's oh, double seven or whatever it is. And I think <laughs> Arteta says, most people remember it in threes. And I think that's all you see. But from everything I hear, that's a lot of the time how he talks to the team is in threes and fours and mm. thinks of it in groups and units because it's just, it, it's much more manageable for a player tactically to kind of think, well, where am I relative to, you know, him and him rather than sure. trying to hold 11 players in your mind. Um, yeah, and that and that front three is is... Yeah, I mean, listen, they were they the work they do get through is fantastic, and when they stop being productive and when they stop scoring and making goals as a unit, that's when I'll really be worried. But I don't see that happening anytime soon. No, and look, our goal when it came, it felt I don't know if I would say inevitable, but you know, we were on top in the first half, we were on top in the second half. There were chances. You know, we talked about the the Jesus chance, which leads to the corner, from which we score. But before that, there was um, there was a, a header, wasn't there, for Martinelli and Thomas Partey just took it off his head. Uh, there was another one. Yeah. I think it could have been a Saka cross to Martinelli, which he tried like a, like a sort of back heel volley kind of a thing. Oh yeah, it was a where maybe he could have yeah he could have had a bit of time to do it. Um, you know. If one team was going to score, even if the goal was not particularly um, beautiful in any way, apart from the fact that it went in the back of their net and made Chelsea and Chelsea fans very unhappy, there's a obviously an inherent beauty in that. But, you know, we were the team that looked most likely to score. Oh, I mean, I don't remember them having a significant chance in the second half. No, there were a couple uh, of moments in the first, weren't they, where a better ball... And to be fair, like, Aubameyang did not have a good game, clearly. Eight touches, he got no change out of Saliba or Gabriel or, you know, anybody else for that matter. But there were a couple of moments where his movement is still so sharp, where with a better ball, they could maybe have caused us a, a problem or two. Yeah, there was one in particular where he was almost spare at the back post and... uh uh, they didn't manage to sort that out. I mean, mm. that's one of the things I think that was really interesting, again, about this team. We didn't really talk about the selection in any great detail, but he threw Zinchenko straight in. You know, I, I think anyone who had any lingering doubts about what Mikel Arteta considers his best eleven, I think that it was put to bed, you mm. know, with the fact that he picked Zinchenko, who had barely, you know, played a minute for weeks and weeks now. I think since the North London derby. Um, 
And with that does come an element of risk. You know, there was space to be exploited in behind Arsenal in the fullback areas, particularly on that left-hand side. And that was the outball for Chelsea. Raheem Sterling running in behind on the right. And a mm. couple of times, you know, they, they almost made something of that. But I, I love that, to be honest. I like that he makes a bold choice and one that does come with a degree of defensive risk. And he gambles on, A, that the attacking quality of his team will pay dividends and B, the guys who he leaves back there, mm. chiefly, you know, Gabriel, Saliba and White, will deal with the danger. I mean, the point of having quality defenders who are happy defending in space is that it enables you to take more risk going forward. And, you know, Arsenal picked a, a really progressive, ambitious 11 and they accepted that risk and they they lived with it you know and I, I think that's a really good sign of progress I think that's what good teams do yeah I mean you have to if it's play to your strengths I'm not quite sure if that's how you would put it but you've got to maximize your ability to control a game and I think that's what Zinchenko does for Arsenal you know traditionally mm. you might say Kieran Tierney is probably a better defensive left back, and then there was again yeah. a lot of a lot of discussion about um, Tierney and Zinchenko pre-game because of you know obviously the fact that Zinchenko had been out for basically a month as he was more or less before the Spurs game as well. So I think maybe the the, the key to um, success this season is just sort of give Zinchenko a month off between big games, <laughs> uh, let Tierney do the rest, and uh, you know everyone's happy. I mean, and listen, Kieran Tierney came on and made a really important contribution. Yes, I, I agree. I thought, I thought he was great when he came on. And and on an individual level, I'm not sure this was Inchenko's best game for Arsenal, but I don't think it's coincidence that Thomas Partey, for example, looked quite as good as he did with uh, with Zinchenko next to him. I think, I think just having another player of that calibre operating in that area of the pitch gives the opposition another problem to solve. And I think maybe it buys Partey an extra yard, mm. an extra second, and he's good enough to really take advantage of that. Yeah, yeah. And you you mentioned to me, and I saw it a bit on the, the post-game video, um, you sort of can see it in the bottom corner as the TV cameras are following them around, like a big embrace between Zinchenko and Tierney at the end of the game. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Zinchenko... <laughs> picked Tierney up and sort of lifted him almost <laughs> over his shoulder. Um, and that was great to see. And yeah, I mentioned it in my video, but the camaraderie in the group is amazing. I mean, it was the same. I saw Ramsdale and Turner in an embrace. Uh, you know, all the subs players who didn't play, people like Vieira were very much part of that celebration coaching staff, physios, doctors. They were very, very, very together. And of course, a big win's likely to engender that sort of spirit. But we've been seeing that for some time. And to see how engaged the entire group is, uh, is really impressive stuff. So, yeah, I... I, I yeah, I loved it. I loved everything about this game, to be honest <laughs> sure. with you. And only only the scoreline being more emphatic... Um, could have improved it. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the goal then, because 
going back to Chelsea being bad versus Arsenal being good. I think there's definitely an an element of Chelsea being bad for this goal. Can I give a shout out to whoever it was, whichever Chelsea fan it was that crumpled up a bit of paper and threw the paper down at Bakayo Saka as he was about to take the corner, Yeah, thus causing Saka to bend down, pick the piece of paper up, throw it away, and break the con- uh, concentration and focus of the the Chelsea defenders. You know they had to reset. They didn't reset in time. Havertz, uh, Thiago Silva. You know ball skidded across him. Quite what Kukurea is doing with Granishaka is anybody's guess. He's just like hanging on to him. Um, yeah, I, 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 it is it is hysterical. I mean, he's just completely feet planted. Uh, it, to be fair to Granite and give him his props too. When you see it from the other angle. Chaka has also got Cucurella absolutely locked up <laughs> in in a in a literal arm lock. I mean, he's he Cucurella's not making much fight to get away, but Chaka's definitely doing his job as well in terms of making sure he doesn't go anywhere. Um, but the defending is, you know, if that was Arsenal, wow, it would take us back to the worst worst of times. Yeah, there's a video I I think I saw it on Reddit this morning, and it's taken from. The opposite end, almost at Stamford Bridge, on one of the either the east or the west stand. I can't quite. I don't know. I'm not good with um, you know uh, geography, but the ball comes in and it goes through, and it just everyone goes ah. Oh, no, one buck goes. You go through the fucking lot of and it's like oh, yeah. I love that. <laughs> I got, and I've got to say credit to William Saliba actually because I'm not sure he's ever got a chance of getting that ball at the near post, but. By chucking his body at it and mm. throwing himself towards it, I just think he he puts some un- uncertainty into Chelsea minds. You know, he he attacks the ball as if he's going to get there in the near post and fully, fully commits to it. Then and, reacts like he scored the goal himself. It's brilliant, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which which I enjoy. But I do think you know if he just goes, I'm not getting that. Then probably someone just boots it away. Yeah. Um, so he makes a nuisance of himself. Let's put it like that. And Gabrielle, uh, who weirdly seemed very keen to give the credit to Bukayo Saka, despite the fact it was his very goal, definitely yeah. his goal. Um, maybe he was worried he was off or something like that. I did wonder about that. Like if he thought maybe Saliba had got a touch and played him offside. Mm. Um, but yeah, his instincts in the penalty box are so impressive. Nine... Nine Premier League goals, I think now, all from corner situations. All from corner situations? Yeah, I believe so. Wow. So either first or second phase, yeah. You know, we've had defenders. Um, oh, yeah, I can see the Shaka thing now. I'm just watching it again. Yeah, when you see it, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> Cucurella looks completely, it makes Cucurella look really stupid. But then actually, the, the reverse camera, you're like, oh, Shaka's got him in an arm lock. I mean, no, I couldn't. Uh, it couldn't happen to a nicer pest. I mean, he really is very annoying, Kukurana. Yeah, and he's been terrible for them. He, um, he th- has. They, he's been really bad for them. And th- let's not forget, they played something insane, like 65 How million. did Bakayo... I mean, look, I don't want to have this conversation again because it's a good day for Arsenal and I don't want to focus too much on this. But how did Kukurea get away with four or five fouls? I and Bakayo Saka gets booked for his first one. I mean, the, the, the stat from... Uh, Orbino. I know that sometimes stats from Orbino give people a bit of, um, you know, uh, 
trauma or whatever. Sure. But this one, if I can just find it here, I was sure I retweeted it. Uh, yeah, Bukayo Saka has been booked three times this season. Only one player has been booked for a foul on Saka, which is astonishing. It's wow. astonishing. And, and like the way that he got, uh, it was a classic of the genre, wasn't it? Where an obvious foul on Saka is ignored and Saka makes a tackle from which he then gets booked. It's it's just, yeah, I don't know. Look, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but it, I, I said to you yesterday, it, I'm very fed up of it. I'm really tired of the way Bakayo Saka is being refereed. It's not the biggest issue that we have, you know, after a game like this, but I still think it's worth um, just mentioning anyway. Yeah, and even um, my brother texted me and said, how's Cucurella not been booked today? I think after the fourth <laughs> foul. Uh, so yeah, Chelsea fans were very aware of it. Actually, as bookings go, like, listen, I, I don't want to see Saka booked, but I didn't mind what he did at all. Like, if he's going to get sort of fouled or pushed, I don't mind him giving a bit back. Mm. Obviously, I'd like it to be refereed on an even keel. But I like that emerging aspect of Saka where he's like, right, well, if it's going to be a bit rough, it's going to be a bit rough. Um, I think that's important to him combating Mm. this unfair uh, misconception that he is a player who goes to ground too easily. Yeah, I mean, there's some other stuff from this game, like little small things um, that I noticed and I was put in mind of, do you remember the Man City documentary the all or nothing i didn't watch it but there was a clip going around where arteta was in the dressing room and he was talking to i don't know gundogan and de bruyne or whatever and he was mentioning like you know when the ball breaks down i can't remember i'm paraphrasing but when the ball breaks down you got to make the foul yeah got to make the foul in midfield and i feel like we're a team that is getting better at that i think martin odegaard's pretty good at it and Uh thomas Partey was great at it as well there was one where Chelsea broke down the right-hand side. Yeah. And I can't remember who it was. It was maybe Brogia. Uh, and Saliba was chasing him down. But between Gabriel and Thomas Partey, Raheem Sterling was making a run. And Partey just kind of doop, steps across him. Very, you know, quick little movement. Not very obvious. Sterling goes flat in his face. And Saliba did some excellent defending and, and I think he kicked the ball off the defender and went out for a throw. But but those kinds of things, you know, are, are sort of helping the control that we have over the game. Um, you know, I know we've had some issues with the let it flow thing ourselves from time to time, but, you know, just little subtle fouls in midfield, which break the momentum of the opposition. Um, I, I feel like we're we're uh, we're getting on top of that in a way that maybe in in previous iterations of Arsenal would have been probably penalised for a few of the things that are going on. Yeah, perhaps so. I, I do think there's a, a healthy cynical streak to some of our play in that respect. Mm. Um, but yeah, I uh, sorry, I forget where we were. What were we chatting about prior to that? We were chatting about um, what were we chatting about? I've forgotten as well. We just talked about the the goal. We both completely lost our train of thought. Yeah, but that's this fine. This is a good bit. This but is a good bit. That's fine. You know, it's okay. We can we can deal with this. Um, um, oh well, yeah. I, I on Saka as well. I yeah, Saka being somebody. Foul, that's what it was. Yeah. Put somebody put it to Potter. You know that 
uh, he Potter had apparently accused Saka of diving during the game, or this journalist thought he had anyway. And mm. I did think it was interesting. Potter sort of dismissed that almost entirely. He said, "Oh, I thought there was one incident that was a bit contentious, but I don't think Saka's that sort of player." Mm. Um, which I thought was, you know, accurate and uh, a fair assessment. But it, it is a it is a curious developing thing and something we need to definitely keep an eye on. And, and and I do think Arteta went, he didn't quite go there. He sort of made a joke about it yesterday. Yeah, I saw um, that in the... Yeah, but I do think, I do wonder how long it is before he properly addresses it. I think, I think he should. I agree. Um, is one of the ways we can assess this team and its effectiveness and its its ability to control games, evident in the way that when Chelsea made substitutions, it really had no material impact on the game at all. When you look at the players they put on, you know, Conor Gallagher uh, is a real midfield live wire, but had little or no impact. Uh, Broja, same. Pulisic, you wouldn't even know he was on the pitch. Kovacic, mm-hmm. the only time I noticed him was when he was um, pushing Granite Xhaka. Mason Mount, like as anonymous as I've ever seen him in a game against us. Mm-hmm. Um, we've already talked about Aubameyang, Havertz, no good. Loftus-Cheek, again, another one of those where it's like, is he, is he actually playing? So despite the fact that Chelsea are capable and did put on high-quality substitutes it made little or no difference to them that such was our confidence in the way that we were playing and what we were capable of doing that even when the opposition manager tries to change things, it, you know, we're, we're, we can cope. Yeah. And again, I think it comes back to a really deep knowledge of the system and a really clear line of communication between the manager and the players. I mean, I never thought I'd quote Scott Parker twice on a podcast, but he spoke about the experience of managing against Arteta's Arsenal and how difficult it is that, you know, within seconds they can evolve and adapt to meet new challenges. And it's true, you know, Chelsea make a couple of changes. You watch Arteta on the sidelines. He gives Shaka or whoever it might be a couple of hand signals mm. and suddenly Arsenal have just adjusted ever so slightly probably imperceptible to someone who's not, you know, a trained coach, but they're just one or two small things, tweaks that just mean they're able to live with whatever the opposition throw at them. Um, yeah. I mean- that's how it, that's how it appeared yesterday. You know, this was a day where I think control was a key word. And, and I think it came from a really, really good defensive performance. And obviously the back four are part of that, but I think this was a team that defended space, defended the man, defended the ball incredibly mm. effectively all over the pitch. Yeah, from front to back. The old cliche about, you know, defending begins at the front and, and all that yeah. kind of stuff. But the yeah. the commitment to it, and as I mentioned earlier with Jesus, the selflessness with which he did that aspect of his job, knowing probably that it could, you know, maybe have a, a negative effect or a negative impact on his ability to score a goal, I think tells you everything about what, what everyone's doing and the way everybody's pulling in the right direction and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. You could see at the end, the the celebrations, you know, you win a big game away from home, of course you're going to celebrate, but there's something... You know, this this feeling, this sensation that we've all 
come to experience, I think, over the course of this season is is really obvious now, right? That that connection between the fans and the manager and the players and all that kind of stuff. And I thought, really, I understand why he did it when he was talking about, you know, the fans having transformed the club. He said they've transformed the energy. That's my opinion. They've transformed the way the team believes in what they're doing. You know, I I, I know why he is banging that particular drum, right? But I also think it's time that he got some flowers, Mm. Mikel Arteta. I really do. Like, the fans have been amazing. But the fans, it's symbiotic. It really is. You know, you can be as supportive and positive as you like, but if the team is not producing, if the team is not performing, if you can't connect with them as a group of individuals or a collective, you know, if you don't, if you look at the pitch and see guys that you're just like, oh, fuck that guy. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how good fans are if the team is not. And I think what we saw yesterday, that connection with the fans that, that happened at the final whistle was a direct result of the performance, which is a direct result of what the manager has been doing on the training ground, um, a direct result of what, you know, has gone on behind the scenes in the last two years, 18 months, where recruitment has been better, not only just in terms of the, the, the quality of the players, but the character of the players and the kind of men, if you like, that we have brought into this football club to buy into this project, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I do think that Arteta deserves a lot of credit for where we are. Uh, managers are the first to get criticize when things go wrong, but we don't necessarily give them enough uh, flowers when things are going right, even if it is mid-season. Yeah, I agree. I, I can see why he is giving the credit to the fans, but then maybe it's our our turn to reciprocate as fans and give some credit to the manager because the culture of the club has been transformed and that has been a collective effort by many different people and the supporters have been part of that. Let's be clear, but I'm not sure one in any one individual had has played a bigger role in the transformation of the club than Mikel Arteta. Yeah, um, I think he has been the driving force behind a number of those changes, and yeah, I, I think I'm glad that Arsenal have the position in the league and the prominence that is seeing the club get some credit at this point in time. I feel very, very proud of what the team are doing. And for all the sort of projections forward and, you know, discussion about league titles and things like that. And I, I honestly am just at the moment incredibly happy to see the team mm. doing so well. Um, it's a real thrill. And we've earned it as well as fans. I mean, I was thinking about this this morning, but I think I'm right in saying that in each of the last two seasons, there have been points where we've had our worst ever start for like 30 or 40 years. Yeah, yeah. So I think in, in you know, in, in December of 2020, um, we were on that dismal run that meant we'd had our worst league start since the 70s. And then last season, the opening three games was our worst ever uh, league opening. And now, I think I'm saying we might be sitting on top of our best. Yeah. Um, 
It's pretty extraordinary turnaround. And Mikel Arteta's record, which flashed up on the BT coverage, 150 games as Arsenal manager, 87 wins, um, puts him five ahead of both Arsene Wenger and George Graham after 150 It games. is remarkable to think about it in, in that sense. But I, yeah. I would say the reason it probably feels as remarkable as it does is that I wonder, did Arsene Wenger and George Graham have more draws? Whereas sure Mikel Arteta true. has had... He doesn't like draws. No, not really. Win or bust under Mikel Arteta, that's it. Uh, um, we don't draw many games. I do think that is true. Um, but yes, I, I do think he, he really does deserve some credit. And he's had big challenges, testing times. The club deserve huge credit as well for sticking with him. And I think they had tremendous faith that this was the right path. Yeah. But in football, showing that faith, having that patience is very challenging. And there may have been alternative routes. I'm not denying there were alternative routes that you could have gone and appointed Antonio Conte or Allegri or whatever, it, whoever it might be. But Arsenal felt that the right thing for this club was to invest in this young manager and commit to his project. And at this particular point in time, it's very difficult to argue with that. No, you can't. We're top of the table. We are, you know, top of the but league. we're not just top of the table. That's the thing. We are top of the table and that is extraordinary. But we're not just top of the table. We're top of the table playing a brand of football that we all enjoy with a group of players that we all like and mm. the connection between fans and supporters that is as good as anything we've seen for, for maybe a couple of decades. On top of the fact that I think we can also see how there is, and I'm not being greedy here, room for improvement Yeah, in certain aspects of our game. Like it doesn't feel like, like we're playing really well, but it doesn't feel like we've quite hit our peak or reached our full potential or whatever it is, because you can see, and you know, without sort of dragging it down into transfer talk, you can see how this squad could be augmented with, you know, another couple of good players who would perhaps make a game like yesterday, a bit more comfortable, right? Maybe we get well, that second goal or whatever. But, you know, it is... It is well, you, do, you don't even have to resort to transfer talk. This squad will be better tomorrow because they'll be a day older, a day more yeah, experienced, yeah, a day closer to their, their peak. Um, the youth element means that it's incredibly exciting future too. So being top of the league is fantastic. Uh, maybe it will be sustainable and maybe it won't. But... I, I just don't believe there's a better club to support in England right now than, Ars than Arsenal. Mm. I don't. I think every fan is probably looking on very enviously at what we are doing. And, you know, there were think pieces in the build-up to the Chelsea game. My colleague Simon Johnson wrote one for The Athletic about, you know, our Arsenal, what Chelsea want to be. And then, you know, you see, hear the same things about United. Do they need to follow the Arsenal model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, well, it takes time and it takes hard work and it takes patience and, and you know, but I, I love that Arsenal being spoken about in that, in those terms. I, I really think that it's just a, 
a great time to be an Arsenal fan. And people will say, well, what have you won? Where are your trophies? Where are your silverware? That's fair enough. That is fair enough. But being a supporter is about the day-to-day existence of following your club, of watching the games. And I think we're being really spoiled at the present point in time. And that, yeah, we've definitely suffered for it, but I'm absolutely loving it. Yep, same. But which is more important, James, the destination or the journey? (laughs) Neither, (laughs) as you know, Andrew. It's the people. It's the people you spend it with. And uh, I think we're very glad to be able to spend it with you guys here on the podcast and with each other and talk about things that, you know, um, after... Yeah, I mean, I think we've all been through some difficult times. Everybody has. So, you know, we should enjoy this. And it's great to uh, to see an Arsenal team play like this. And, um, you know, the, the, the sky's the limit, I think, you know, if we can keep everything together and keep things going. So fingers crossed we can do that. And, of course, it's a good weekend for us as well in terms of some of the other results. Um, yeah, great weekend. I mean, Unai's back with a bang. Wow. Wow. Um, yes, he certainly is. Uh, Spurs lost as well. Um, so yeah, plenty to, uh, to talk about. We'll have a, a Patreon podcast for you a bit later on uh, called The 30, in which we take a 30-minute roundup of the uh, Premier League action. Myself and Phil Costa will be here for you a bit later on to give you that. So we'll spend a bit of time enjoying the other results that went our way. Anything else you want to talk about in part one before we go to part two and make the big merchandising announcement? No, let's get there. The people want to hear it. Well, they do. All right. We'll take a short break. We'll come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at Arseblog. Also on the Arseblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arseblog member on Patreon. Now, I should have got a fanfare. Damn. Many people, many people, I can't count how many people, but many of them. Upwards of seven. For sure. Maybe even as many as nine. Okay. Ha- have asked us, when are you going to release a goodly morning mug? This is what the people have wanted. All nine of them. Yeah. Where is the goodly morning mug? And we've said, ah, I don't know. Maybe we'll do it at some point. Maybe we'll do it. Yeah. But we've never got around to it. But now we have got around to it. We are proud to announce the availability of the official Arscast Extra Goodly Morning Mug, which says 
goodly morning on it, and it has a picture of me and James um, with microphones, uh, wonderfully drawn as ever by our friend, poorly drawn Arsenal. That is on sale now. Um, you'll find a link to this in the in the show notes. We're selling it via Redbubble. They do all the shipping and packaging and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's available now. You'll find a link on the website. You'll find a link in the show notes right now. You can buy the official Goodly Morning mug and the proceeds from this. Every single penny that we make from these mugs will go to Great Ormond Street Hospital because it's coming up to Christmas and everything else. We thought it would be good to do something for for uh, for kids who might be able to, um, you know, uh, benefit from it. So Great Ormond Street Hospital and Our Ladies uh, Hospital for Children here in Dublin. We're going to split the proceeds between those two uh, hospitals, those two charities. Every single penny from the Goodly Morning Mug will go uh, and benefit those two charities. So if you want to get one, go get one. There's all your Christmas presents sorted right now for everybody listening. Um, we've just Someone made Christmas you know easier. Wants a goodly morning mug for Christmas, Ex- surely. Exactly, exactly. So go get them, and um, yeah, we're glad to uh, be able to uh, provide you with a receptacle from which you can drink your morning coffee or tea or whatever it is. And yeah. you've drunk out of one of these mugs, Andrew. How would you describe the experience? I would. It's it's sensational. I, I can't really? quite get Yeah, unbelievable. There's a sort of, you know, ceramic quality to the, wow. uh, to the wow. mug itself. You know, w- if you turn it one way, it's like I'm drinking a bit of James. If you yeah. turn it the other way, I'm drinking a bit of Andrew. Incredible. And you can drink from the whole perimeter of the mug. That's yes. extraordinary. It is incredible. It has a very, very handy sort of sticky out bit that you can put your fingers really? between. Just yeah. Pop your little, pop your thumb through there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it de- delicately balances. Wow. It is. It's, it's, it's a sensational piece of merchandise. I have to say sensational. They, they genuinely do look very cool. We'll tweet it as well. Will we? We'll yeah, we will. We will tweet it uh, out for yeah, anyone for sure. who's still on Twitter and hasn't uh, fled in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, you can spend your $8 on a mug rather than <laughs> rather than an even bigger mug. I actually can't afford a mug because I need to keep my blue tick uh, so I can retain some credibility oh, in this yeah, horrific yeah. world. I, um, I was going to say, obviously, that the mug could have the tagline so you can make every morning a goodly morning. But Arsenal are doing that for you anyway. Exactly. Exactly. So it's there. There it is. Uh, at last. So all those nine people will be extremely happy. We oh, let me tell you, nine of those mugs going to shift real fast. <laughs> uh, it's going to be an amazing Christmas for three children. Yeah. Will you wait till we tell those two hospitals about the nine mugs we sold? Oh, That's going to make their Christmas. Um, no, I'm, it's very exciting. It is. Very exciting. And because I've now got no hair, the, the drawing beautifully differentiates us via the medium of glasses so you can tell who's who <laughs> i've got a blue shirt and you've got a uh a, a red shirt a red shirt yeah 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 um anyway very exciting news shall we do some questions let's do some questions uh do, would you like to go first andrew i think i would i oh, think i would great um here's one from oh let me see uh, Buff, I think it is Buff. Yeah, that's it. B O F H on the Discord. He said, "Nothing personal. What makes players take part in stuff like that, which can only backfire on them?" And Punny Chat Name says, 
Were you guys as disappointed as I was not to see Aubameyang play for, uh, for Chelsea yesterday? Uh, a bit sad for him to do that video and then not play. <laughs> <laughs> wow, yeah. Well, listen, it's a great line and it made for a lovely intro in a hundred uh, pieces you've probably read this morning. I have to say, I wasn't personally that affronted by it because the short answer to what makes a player do these things is um, club commercial contracts with channels. Um, But he could say no, you know what I mean? You could say, look, look, listen, I know this is a story. I know it's like, you know, former captain returning and everything else, but like, nah, you know, that's not, that's not. I'm not going to do that. Let's do something. Have you seen, there's a clip. I'll try and find it, but have you seen the clip of him filming the ad? So it's like, I don't know how the hell this is leaked, but there's a clip of a Bamiang looking into camera and you hear the director go, okay, one more time over. Um, Just say um, Arsenal, nothing personal. And he sort of laughs like a bit like, oh, okay, yeah, sort of is a bit embarrassing, but I'll yeah. do it. And then he does it. Like, you know, and, and and I know we all know this, but it's not like he walks into the studio and was like, right, let's stick it to Arsenal in this video. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I know, yeah, I know. But you could still just say... He could say no. Yeah. But he could say no. I, I also think it isn't that bad a thing to say. It's not like he... It's not that they were like... Okay, can you say, Mikel, it's personal. I mean, imagine if he'd done that. Like, he is, he is literally saying it's nothing personal, which is effectively, right, you know, not a bad thing. But it's still good fun when it backfires. And, uh, like, I don't have a great deal of sort of grievance with Oba at all. No, like, me neither. Me neither. He, he but... seems like a great guy and... Uh, Served Arsenal very well for a period of time. Um, but, you know, he doesn't play for us anymore. and doesn't play for Chelsea much either. <laughs> and he plays for Chelsea. And I'm afraid if you do that, if you're an Arsenal player, I think he's got an Arsenal tattoo or at least a tattoo of himself wearing an Arsenal shirt. That's the, mm. the chat anyway. And then you go inside for Chelsea, you're going to get some stick off the fans. And... I'm not, I don't have a holier than thou attitude to that at all. The away fans. <laughs> what was the song? Mikel Arteta, he knows you're a cunt. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen. I love it. That, I mean, the pantomime. Yeah, the press moment. box laughed at that, actually, <laughs> collectively. Um, I think I, everyone was like, can we get that into That was a bit of a nasty one on uh, Ben White, though. Was a nasty yeah. talent, a nasty Yeah, talent. but I think we've seen that. I mean, again, sort of, was it Crystal Palace he yeah. got sent off? Yeah, Arteta was fuming about that, I have to say. Well, I mean, he, he, was... he tackled his son. Yeah, exactly. Um, his special boy. <laughs> um, but yeah, listen, ill-advised from Oba uh, and Back to, uh, backfired spectacularly. I did hear some chat that he left a mask behind one of the goals. No. Yeah. What was what was the mask? I think it was Mikel um, Arteta mask. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I I only saw this on social, but there was some chat that he left like a Spider Man mask behind Ramsdale's goal. 
I can't corroborate that officially, but that's another very funny element. You know what would have been amazing? If Ramsdale had found it. And put it on. And just put it on. (laughs) And then just stood there for the entire second half wearing a Spider-Man mask. Because he had fucking nothing else to do. He had nothing else to do. Yeah, he might as well have done. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so that's, again, I really hope that that is true. Um, Listen, I think it's it's our turn to say nothing personal over, you know. Mm. It's just business. It's just football. Um, The real story is that Oba sort of ceased to function from a football perspective at Arsenal. Yeah. And I have to be honest, I think I've said this before, but there is some nagging part of me that wonders if the entire situation was a kind of... How can I put it? If there was a sort of Machiavellian streak to Mikel Arteta that, that... that saw an opportunity to break a relationship that was not helpful to him. I, I do wonder about that from time to time. That, that if there was a, you know, if if Ober was a player that he really believed was important to his team and the future of his team, would any of this have happened? I don't, I don't know. No, I don't think so. Clearly, uh, if a player is doing it for you, you can... You can put up with a certain amount of um, negotiables rather than non-negotiables, yeah. right? Like, like it's always been framed as a personal issue, and I and I, and I kind of understand why. But I sort of think, was that just the excuse that Mikel found to to break that relationship? I don't. I I don't mm. know. We'll never know that. But I do wonder about it. I do wonder. Well, it was funny to see him sit on the bench with that kind of look on his face. While it our, was, yeah, yeah. While our number nine, I mean, nothing we said it in the first half, nothing quite compares and contrasts. Like, neither, neither of the starting strikers scored, but one of them had a huge impact on the game and the other just absolutely didn't. And that... That explains everything, I think. Yeah, and Ober will score goals. If Chelsea find a way to get him chances, he will score goals or get the ball into the box. I'm sure he will, but that's pretty much all, you know? Mm. And that's the player he is at this point in his career. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think... Yeah, I, I, I think it didn't help his case doing that BT thing at all. And, and I wonder if in future, maybe, as you say, he would think about that it's probably an element of ego as well in in it isn't it like he he's gonna back himself to score well if he brought a mask yeah (laughs) shows you i mean to be fair most arsenal fans i know were backing him to score it felt like a foregone conclusion to some Mm. um but he didn't get a kick he really didn't get a kick and actually like he wanted to pull into that you know left channel and the bad news for him is that that's where William Saliba plays. And we haven't really spoken about him, but he was... Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Defensively, but even the way, you know, every time he gave the ball, he'd drop off and, and, you know, be there to provide an option. You know, that, that kind of 
commitment to the system from a 21-year-old central defender. I mean, the bit where he caught up with uh, Broja. Is that how you pronounce his name, Broja? Um, yeah, I don't know. But yeah, but he was, I mean, he was a couple of yards offside and he still caught him up. Yeah. I saw somebody say, I'm sorry, I can't find it, but he said he's like uh, two-way authentication as a defender. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's very true, yeah. Maybe that's what we should call him and Gabriel, two-way authentication. Um, I, yeah, he, he was... Gets, you get tired of using the word imperious, but it is absolutely... It captures his style of play. Um, he, he, he was just incredible. I've got a funny feeling he's going to go to the World Cup and start every game for France. And by January, we will have one of the hottest properties in world football on our hands. If we don't already. If we don't already. And if we don't already, that's a good thing. Mm, I (laughs) think we do, though. Try and keep that secret. I Um, I think we do. Yeah. What I mean is I think he's going to get... I I can see a scenario where he gets massive recognition. Um, it feels like one of those where that contract is just so important mm. because I hate saying this, but he's got Real Madrid written all over him. I mean, like he, he could play for any club in the world, this guy. He could, we I got, guess. We he could. Him but, well, yeah, I mean, we do, of course. But like, I think Arsenal is a good place to be. For football players. And I think increasingly, you know, you know the way Arteta has always said, like, the amount of players who want to join us. Remember when when times were bad and he said, so many players want to come and join us and all that kind of stuff, which could be true. Um, He would know, obviously. But imagine the players who would be willing to join us now. Yeah. Based on what we're doing, how we're doing it, what it feels like, what the potential is. You know, I I think Arsenal is a very attractive destination um, for for players now. Um, We've got to keep it up, obviously. But, you know, I think that also plays into your ability to uh, retain players too. So fingers Mm -hmm. crossed. Um, Quick uh, throwaway one here from Sir Simon King on the Discord. Do we need to reassess where Tottenham get battered? It seems they don't, in fact, have to go anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This is quite a straightforward one, but Marty on the Discord said, goodly morning. Um, Do you remember when was the last time you felt this good about the performances of our team and the squad in general? That is a really good question because I think when you think back to when we were challenging and winning titles and all that kind of stuff, I don't know that we necessarily analyzed things as deeply or compared them with what came before in the same way. There weren't as many podcasts, Andrew. Well, there were no podcasts, you know. <laughs> Arscast started, started in 2006. So you know, how which does football mean anything? I, I can't even... I don't know. What kind of just regular good mornings did we have back then? Yeah. That's just not... Um, no, I think you're right. And maybe maybe when things are going brilliantly, you and, and it's quite consistent for a protracted period, maybe you start to take it a little bit for granted as well. Maybe. I mean, the one... What I would say is that it probably, if I had to draw a parallel with any season that I can think of, it is probably 07, 08. Same. 
because of how well we started, because of a, a young team that, that, you know, had lots of potential, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, I don't want to say it's going to be exactly the same because that would be very, um, that would be depressing. But I just think in the, in the modern era, in inverted commas, you know, I talk about 2007, 2008, you know, that's 14 years ago or maybe 15 years ago, mm. whatever, you know. Um, I just think there are parallels with that. In, in the sort of makeup of the squad, how well we've started, the kind of football that we're playing, the momentum that we have, et cetera, et cetera, and sort of the team that we had at that moment in time, for the most part, was very likable. But I, I think there's something almost unique about this current Arsenal team in, in, you know, when you look around the squad, you know, it's very easy to identify with, identify with maybe the wrong word, right? Maybe what I'm trying to say is I think it's really easy to like these players as players, but also people. Mm. And what I think is interesting about this is that applies to me, uh, you know, somebody who's 51. I think it applies to you, to somebody who's in their 30s. I think it applies to a lot of the younger generation of fans as well. So there's this kind of cross-generational connection that maybe hasn't happened before if that makes sense i think that's true and it's all tied together by another element that we haven't discussed the merch the merch (laughs) the merch that arsenal have put out in this period which really you know has i think united the fan base in in poverty um (laughs) no i i i I think 2007-8 is the one. It's always striking to me, so I'm 36, and when I speak to fans who are sort of, you know, a decade or so younger than me, some of whom will be listening, I hope, um, that season, for people who don't, like, remember 98 or 2002, or in some cases 2004 particularly clearly, Mm. is like a really significant formative season for a lot of people. Like... People think of it, um, they hold it in high regard for the football we played. And even though it had, you know, a a disappointing denouement, I still think that people feel quite affectionately about about that team and, and, Mm. you know, what we almost achieved that season. And this feels like the closest to that, I would say. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, so yeah, the, how, that's a long time ago. It is, isn't it? But yeah. you know, hopefully we can um, we can keep it up and go uh, go one better than we did uh, the last time. Uh, let's have a question from JDH. Who's that? JDH underscore fourteen. He said, "A very goodly morning. What is your view on our player exclusions from World Cup squads? Positive that they get the rest and perhaps fire in their bellies to prove people wrong, but the negative of personal disappointment. What are your thoughts?" Yes, some news reports in Brazil this morning. I don't know if you've seen that uh, yeah. two of the Gabbies will not make it. Um, I liked at Geezy Pease's uh, Ricky's tweet saying, um, happy for Gabby, but disappointed for Gabby and Gabby. Can understand Gabby being <laughs> left out with unreal talent on that side, but I think it's mad to leave Gabby out. I hope Gabby does well, though. Um, that is the expectation in Brazil as far as I gather, that they won't go. I mean, in fact, 
Alleyboy82 said, Goodly morning, gents. Can you go through the Arsenal squad and predict who will be picked for the World Cup? And for those who will, how much game time they'll actually play there? I do think that's interesting to have a look at. Shall we, shall we have a quick go? Yeah, let's have a quick look at that. We're going to go on the, the official wave. So Matt Turner, Aaron Ramsdale, both of them are going to go, right? Yeah, Matt Turner's back fit, was on the bench yesterday, should mm-hmm. play Wednesday night. Um, he'll play, I think, the group games for America mm-hmm. and then see where they go. I reckon, obviously, Ramsdale will go and probably not kick a ball um, or catch a ball. I mm. guess you've got an outside chance in the final group game, but Nick Pope's been preferred, I think, in the last couple of international friendlies. So I think he'll be there making up the numbers. The old papal cross, I guess. Indeed, yes. Southgate is a Catholic. Um, now, defenders. Well, Gabriel, it looks like, won't go. Mm-hmm. William Saliba, we're talking about going. Going, and, and I think playing. I think he's got a very good chance of playing. And France is a good squad, isn't it? You'd imagine Sure, they might go quite deep. Tommy Asu, injury permitting, fingers crossed for him. Yeah, I think he's been selected. Um, oh, he I has think- been selected. It's just whether or not the injury he picked up the other day is going to yeah. have an impact. Well, they've on announced him. their squad. Am I right yeah, about that? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that leaves us with Ben White. Yeah, um, which is a fascinating one. I mean, mm, I mean, I cannot for the life of me understand why there is any reluctance on the part of Gareth Southgate to choose Ben White, given that Ben White has probably been the one of, if not the best English defender in the Premier League this season. Yeah. I don't think there is a I don't think there is a good football justification for it. That's my honest opinion. I just I cannot understand from a football perspective why you wouldn't select him. I think if he's not selected, we can only assume there's something else to it. Um particularly when, you know, someone like Harry Maguire has been very poor and is not really playing for Manchester United, Tyrone Mings very poor. For for Aston Villa, um, who else is going to go? John Stones, I guess. Um, I, I mean, I think that the one he might take instead of Ben White is Joe Gomez from Liverpool. <laughs> well, he's picked him before. I uh, know, no, I'm just laughing. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just laughing at that. Yeah, I, I, that's my. I, I, yeah, I honestly couldn't call it because there's been a. a there's been at least half a dozen occasions of squad announcements in recent time where you've thought Ben White's got to be in mm. and he's not been. So although it seems obvious on paper, I take nothing for granted. Um, do you think he'll go? Let's make a prediction. Ben White? Yeah. I mean, the way that right-sided defenders, English right-sided defenders keep going down with injury... I think Trippier picked up a. Or it looked like he had a hamstring in the yeah, Newcastle game he yesterday. He got through the game. Yeah. I think he came up with 10 minutes to go, but he's got a history with hamstrings. Um, I'm going to predict no, because I think. Um, I just don't know why it's even a talking point. I don't know why it's an issue. I don't know why anyone is suggesting, well, you know, maybe Ben White can scrape into the squad. So. I'm going to say no, because he should be in there as one of the first choices, but he's not. So that 
maybe, like you say, suggest that there's something else going on. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think, well, evidently Southgate, you know, doesn't massively want him as part of the squad. He would have had him way before now. Um, mm. I'm going to say no too. I think it's absurd. I hope for he uh, well, if he, you know, if he wants to go, I, then I'm happy for him to go. But from an Arsenal perspective, it wouldn't be the worst thing, would it, if he stayed with us? No. Um, um, Cedric, somebody said to me, might have an outside chance, which... I don't know anything about the Portuguese international setup. I find that hard to believe. I also would find that hard to believe. I'm He's just looking up his his last international game. Uh, I mean, he did play. He was on the bench. The last time he actually played for Portugal was in a 2-2 draw with Serbia in the qualification in March 2021. Yeah. And he's not been in the squad for the next 15 games. He was in the squad for playoffs against Turkey and North Macedonia, but in, didn't that, get on the pitch. In March this year, he was in the squad. But, I mean, he has barely played for Arsenal, so no way. No way. Um, we all know that Cedric's going and Ben White's not going. That's, <laughs> well, that's what's happening. Cedric's going for England. He's uh, um, spent enough time. <laughs> he now qualifies. Um Partey will go and play. Yeah. Saka will go and play. Um, yeah. Not sure how much he'll play. I'm not sure he'll be a starter. We'll see. Um, but he'll get plenty of minutes, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Conga apparently likely to not go, out of contention, really. Um, El Nenny? Oh, I don't know, actually. I mean, are Egypt in the World Cup? That's what I don't know. Forgive uh, me, Egyptians. Um... I don't know if they are. I don't think no, they they're did not. qualify. They didn't. No, they didn't. Um, Fabio Vieira, I don't think's there in terms of Portugal. Shaka uh, will go and play. Mm-hmm. Um, Playing against Brazil as well. Um, who will take Gabriel, Gabriel Jesus. Jesus. And beyond uh, that, yeah, no place for Martinelli. It looks like Eddie Nketiah was courted by Ghana, but that's not mm. happening. Um, I, I wouldn't rule it out happening in future, him playing for Ghana. I think there's a very good chance of that, but for whatever reason, it's not come together in time for the World Cup. Um, and I think that's our lot. So really, I think in terms of playing a lot of minutes... Shaka, maybe Shaka. Jesus... Saliba. Jesus, maybe, yeah, but he may not start. Saliba, Shaka, Partey. And and you have to turn her, and then you have to say that if White is selected, he could play for England, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're um, not sure if he will. Yeah. So, you know, we, we started the podcast really talking about Shaka and Partey and how integral and how important they are to this team. Hmm. The same is true of their national teams. Um, you know, Saliba, Partey and Shaka are really key parts of our first team. So it'll be real fingers crossed for them coming through the tournament unscathed. Here's, uh, I, I thought this was a, a good observation from Void Sprawler on the uh, Discord. Is it just me or does Graham Potter look like he was drawn into existence by poorly drawn Arsenal? Which I think is um, very funny. Um, we had a couple of questions along this. 
along these lines, uh, Wise Marklar says, who covered more grand yesterday, Arteta or Aubameyang? Uh, Mohammed H says, does Weisgout need to start building in some analysis to show how often Arteta is outside his technical box? There's been a few instances over the last month or so where he's got incredibly close to the opposition player while the ball is still in play. And Vanderbob says, gents, do you think there should be a heat map for Arteta's position during the game? Seems to me that he's a box-to-box gaffer. <laughs> yeah, I liked. I enjoyed Richard Keyes' bleating about this. Somebody do something about this man. <laughs> like, do something about this. Somebody man. do something about this man. Of all the men you could say that about in the yeah. world right now, somebody do something about Putin. Somebody do something about the whatever. But somebody do something about Mikel Arteta being animated on the sideline. I absolutely love. How upset this makes Richard Keyes. I love Somebody it. Somebody quipped. I forget who. He's the last person to be lecturing people about boundaries, um, which I enjoyed. But I, 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 I think um, it's very funny to see how much this annoys people, isn't it? No, it is. 100% because, like, you can't take the easy route of, like, dunking on Arsenal for being bad or playing poorly or making mistakes or, you know, throwing away a game or anything like that. So if all you've got left is a passionate manager who is, you know, to be fair, he does get a bit out of his technical area. But at the end of the day, what big difference does that make? There's a a fourth official there who could, if he really wanted to, take Mikel Arteta to task and say, stay in your technical area, otherwise you're going to get booked or whatever, you know? But the officials aren't that worried about it. And, like, if it boils the piss of lots of other people, I'm all for it. Yeah. I mean, what discernible advantage of all the things we're doing on the pitch to, you know, get marginal gains? Mm. What does Mikel Arteta straying a yard outside of his technical area really do? I mean, what does it matter if Mikel Arteta tackles Cesar Aspilicueta sure. as he's bombing down the wing, sliding Runs on in the pitch, to, yeah. scores a goal? <laughs> uh, There's a lot of people getting very upset about a lot of stuff. I mean, um, we were asked again about the Strictly Come Dancing thing, and apparently a lot of people are getting very, very angry that Tony Adams remains in the uh, in the competition. So it's very funny. It's very funny. So Um, can we just urge everybody to vote for Tony Adams as much as possible? Because, like, the idea that somehow the integrity of Strictly Come Dancing is being uh, broken by Arsenal fans voting for Tony Adams is just fantastic. It is, yeah. I mean, honestly, the viewers of Strictly Come Dancing, not all, (laughs) but many are absolutely enraged and... (laughs) He must win the competition. I mean, I actually, I was at my in-laws this weekend and I I saw his dance. And I will say, as a man who loves Tony Adams, it was terrible. (laughs) It was really atrocious. (laughs) I mean, it was better than I could do, but in the standard of competition, it was poor. And he has sailed through to the next round with the public (laughs) vote. Uh, It is very, very funny. And it will only get funnier as he progresses further and further and makes all these angry people on their sofas even angrier. Um, Tony to win strictly, Arsenal to win the league. It's the real double. Oh, that's it. 
That's it. So yeah, if you're in the UK and you can, you know, do whatever you need to do. I don't know how you do it. Is it like text message stuff or BBC website or yeah, is it on the BBC? I think it's, te- I think it's a number or text message. Yeah, um, it's BBC. So I doubt it's insanely expensive. So yeah, please let's just uh, keep it going keep for it Tony up. Adams and yeah, you please. know. Richard Keyes, maybe he'll turn his attention to uh, to Strictly Come Dancing when he knows that like it's going to make no difference about Mikel Arteta. Richard Keyes, <laughs> somebody do something about this man. Yeah. He's not dancing sufficiently well to win a competition <laughs> on television. We can't have this. It's an outrage. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't put it past him. Um, do you want a tactical question? Sure. So Will, who's at N5N7Badges, asks, how come moving Shaka forward has made such a difference to the midfield? Both him and Party Deep just didn't work. Is it just to do with Party liking the space and Shaka not being in the areas to make costly errors? I don't think it's just that. But I think... I think there are three things. Okay. One is... Granite Xhaka is... A goal machine. He is, but I think he is playing the best football of his career right now and has been for quite a while, right? Mm -hmm. I think he's hit a rich vein of form, which has coincided and maybe because of or partly because of that new role that he has. Because you remember talking about it last season when we you know we all started noticing that Xhaka was playing further forward wasn't picking the ball up as deep and everyone's going ooh wonder how this will go yeah you know does he have the does he have the the speed of foot to be effective in that sort of forward eight role yeah well the, a lot of the conversation was is this the end for Shaka is the system evolving yeah. beyond him. Yeah, like the next thing we're going to do is just buy a player, shift Shaka out of the team and, and what have you. So look, I think that's number one, that he is playing extremely well. Number two, so is Thomas Partey. I think Thomas Partey is probably playing the best football of his Arsenal career right now as well. And I think the third thing that has sort of made it as effective as it is at this moment in time is the the new uh, inverted left back system mm-hmm. which provides a bit more of a platform and a bit more stability for Xhaka to go and do what he's doing but like none of this would be working well if Xhaka was just not capable of doing what Arteta wants a player in that position to do he is you know the 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 speed of thought and his ability to move the ball as quickly as he does is not something I thought he was capable of. Um, no, he has a nice involvement in that move, which leads to the Jesus header, actually. It's a beautiful uh, take and turn, actually. He yeah. takes a pass. Is it from Partey, I think? Yeah. But the way he takes the ball almost on the turn and, and brings it with him and then drives forward and plays Martinelli and, and what have you, like... I think you've got to give him a lot of credit for the way that he is playing and has consistently been playing. So it's in some ways, I think it's freed him or taken the shackles off him. But I think there are a few elements uh, at play. And look, I, I thought about this yesterday a bit, you know, um, when 
Xhaka had some difficult times where maybe his performances weren't as good, where people thought, um, why is he playing? And then you'd have the conversation, well, you know, Arsene Wenger picked him every game and Una, Unai Emery picked him every game and Mikel Arteta picks him every game and his national team coaches pick him every game. I mean, there must be something that we're not seeing or whatever it is. I think what we've, we could probably acknowledge right now is that during his time at Arsenal, I'm not saying he has been flawless by any means. Did you use the phrase a bit earlier, rising tide lifts all boats? Mm. And I think what we're seeing is that Granit Xhaka is a much better player than he has been given credit for. And when the level has risen, he's risen with it. He's not being carried by the team. He is, uh, you know, he's fucking rowing the boat in many ways. Yeah. Um, and maybe the issue wasn't always as much with Granit Xhaka as it was with what was around him. Well, this I, I was thinking this yesterday too, and I've thought this in the past in times when Shaka was coming under a lot of fire. Um, and it's almost a blasphemous uh, thought, or would have been at one stage. But I, I have wondered if you put Granit Xhaka next to Patrick Vieira in an Arsenal midfield, how different would the perception of him be? You know? Sure. Like, he'd make you look good though as well, Vieira. That is true. <laughs> I know what you what mean. I'm, I know, what I'm I know saying what you're is, saying. I think we've had players in really successful teams who were great, really good players, mm -hmm. but were elevated, as you suggest, by some truly world class individuals. And Shaka has largely played in Arsenal teams where he's not really had that degree of support. Mm -hmm. um, I agree. And yeah, I, as, as for why it's working now, I think um, there are, I think there are lots of reasons as you suggest. And I, I do think it's tempting to say Partey is sort of doing the pivot job all on his own. And it, it does you know, if you lay the team sheet out, it looks a bit like that. But I think, mm. as you point out, Zinchenko and White coming into those areas to support Partey, I think has been incredibly valuable and a sort of necessary step in the evolution of the team. Yeah. But all that is redundant if Shaka can't do the stuff in the opponent's heart. Yeah. If he was still you know, stumbling in possession and taking up bad positions and not executing his final ball or shooting, then it would all be insignificant. But he's doing those things really well. Um, mm. And, yeah, it's it's just completely changed the balance of the team and made us much, much better. So, yeah, I hope it, hope it continues and I hope people don't get too wise to some of what Shaka is doing because his movement uh, sort of from inside to outside in the final third is, is really effective right now. Mm. Okay, let's do a couple of uh, quick ones just to to finish us off. Mm -hmm. Sonogo Forever says, should we be adding Nicholas Yeover to the list of extensions to work on? Maybe. he's uh, He knows what he's doing with those corner kicks, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. But 
the delivery from the players is also improving. I mean, we should have scored from another corner yesterday. We took a short one and Odegaard played it in. That's the one that Partey took off Martinelli's head. Mm. Um, but those in-swinging deliveries are excellent. And, you know, even the long throw had its moments yesterday. I thought early yeah, on, yeah, yeah. Gabriel not one into the side netting. I think our... our... Remember when Arsene Wenger was manager, it almost felt like corners were a bit of an afterthought. You know, they were just an opportunity to get the ball back in open play, it felt like. Mm. Just take it short and improvise. Whereas now it really feels like every set piece is quite meticulously prepared although that free kick <laughs> that free kick with the short free kick towards Martinelli which was cut out was obviously disastrous and I think we have to uh we have to point out Zinchenko produced the worst throw-in <laughs> in recorded history someplace somewhere Hector Bellerin smiles on proudly I felt um, like this my whole life it, it was I, I, I guess the ball was wet but uh, it was a very, very damp pitch, massive downpour before the game and then at the end of the game as well. Yeah. But that was special from Zinchenko. It certainly was. Um, where is the other one or two that I was going to do here? Oh, yeah. Yolius says, what would you do for the League Cup? Just throw the second string and hope? You know what? I was listening to the Arsenal Vision boys after the game on the way home last night and Elliot said in uh, typically sort of understated fashion, I hope we lose on Wednesday. Um, <laughs> and I actually thought, I, I do know where he's coming from. Like the League Cup really feels like something uh, that it could be a blessing in disguise if we were to avoid those fixtures mm. in this season of all seasons. Um, I think I had another question about the domestic cups. I'm just going to have a look and see. Yeah, Johnny from Belfast. Goodly morning, guys. What's your views on the priority we give to the cup competitions? Part of me just wants out of them at the early stages. I I, I don't think I can or ever will say... I hope we lose. I don't think I can quite go there. But you could say that if we were to lose, it wouldn't feel like the end of the world. Is that I the- wouldn't shed a tear. And if Mikel Arteta wants to pick um, Ethan Waneri and his school friends <laughs> on Wednesday night, <laughs> uh, and that's no slight on Waneri, who you know continues to look like a really exciting young prospect, I would be all for it well Um, sure but like here's the thing you know if we're talking about Mikel Arteta a manager that we are you know we're getting to know pretty well at this point there is no way that he is going to that he is going to like wave the white flag of Nwaneri just not going to happen I think you know he'll make as many changes as he can but and I, I, I suspect there might be some young players involved but I just don't see him going, um, you know, full Elliot on this one. That's for sure. No. But do you share that same feeling of like, it wouldn't be a tragedy if we went out? Yeah, I do. (laughs) I do. And like, I don't want us to lose. I never want us to lose. Um, But I also think that there is something to the way that Arteta approaches things and that he wants to win every game. And, and, And that's the sort of mentality... Yeah. that he's instilling, and that's part of why we're top of the league as well. 
Like, I don't right. think... You can't separate it. No, you can't. I mean, we can as fans, but I don't think internally they can do that. I don't think you can just say, this game is expendable because we've got bigger fish to fry as much as we might like it. I don't think you can create the environment within the club that you want by by just sort of saying, well, you know, there are games where we can pick and choose because if you do it once, you can do it again. You can do it for other games. Or if you let players think that way, I think it, it has an impact. So I, I don't expect it to... Um, you know, to be the way people might like uh, on this one. I'm just going to have a quick look. Um, uh, when are when is the Carabao Cup? So it's actually it's the first game back, isn't it? If we go through, if we go through, there's a game on the Andrew Allen was telling me. I think it's the 19th of December. Yeah, and I think um, David Ornstein reported today about uh, a couple of friendly games. In yeah. uh, Dubai, I think maybe Leon, Leon and AC Milan yeah, yeah. are under discussion. And I think, you know, there have been reports uh, about an Emirates stadium friendly, uh, maybe a few days before that Carabao Cup game. I think that's something they're still working on. That's still on the cards. But then, yeah, so December, January, semifinals, January 20th. So quarterfinals, are January, they are single legs. Semi-finals are end of January, start of Feb, and they are two legs. Stupid. It's so stupid having a two-leg semi-final in the League Cup. In it this really season is. of all of a, seasons. Any season. Any season, yeah. it's ridiculous at this point. You know, they should I, just do away with that. I have to be honest and say, looking at our January, you know, we play Newcastle one week, mm. Spurs the next, Manchester United the week after. Mm. Mm. All I'll say is best of British luck to Brighton on Wednesday night. May the best team win and uh, may Ethan Ranieri's school friends have the night of their lives. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, look, we'll wait and see. I don't want to say anything more on this game, you know, because, you know, stuff that could come back to haunt us uh, at some point. Um, Uh, here's a couple of uh, we have to mention this Uh, I know we've already spoken about him a little bit but uh, Camilo Rios who's at Creos Creos Mons on Twitter said who's been our best player so far and why is it Ben White and Jmart91 on the uh, Discord says Good day, or goodly day, gents. How much are you enjoying Ben White this year and not just his performances on the pitch but his antics and shithousery are phenomenal Um, And there were a couple of examples of this yesterday. One, when we're celebrating the goal and there's a ball sitting on its little tee thing, you know, for the multi-ball Yoki, and he kicks it up in the air and it hits Martin Odegaard on the head. He turns around and goes like, what? What happened there? And then the Mason Mount stuff as well uh, was just sensational. What was the Mason Mount stuff? So basically, there was a tangle in midfield where Mason Mount, I think, was holding on to Ben White. And Ben White did that thing where he was holding on a little bit and they both fell over. And Ben White got up and he had that kind of Ben White look on his face. You know that one? Like, what are you, yeah. what are you doing? What are yeah. you doing? Then he picks up the ball a couple of seconds later and nutmegs Mason Mount and drives on into midfield. I think he gave the ball away then. He drove on and made a pass, but passed it straight to a Chelsea player. But that kind of, um, I don't know if you would call it arrogance. I think arrogance is the wrong word because it makes it sound bad, but it's just so enjoyable. 
I don't I think, think I, I think many great footballers do have arrogance, you know. I, yeah, maybe it is, but I have to say I don't think I've enjoyed a footballer slash personality combination as much in a long time as Ben White. I fucking love him. He's brilliant. Uh yeah, I do too. I think he is really developing um cult status mm. at Arsenal. You know, there's always that discussion like how does a player become a cult player, a cult hero? Well, I think Ben White is on that trajectory. Um and that's not to say that he's you know, sometimes a cult hero is a bit of a niche player or someone who's not yeah. going to stay the team because he is absolutely fantastic. I mean, when I talk about players who could play in title-winning teams, he's right at the tip of my tongue. Like, he has the quality, but also the mentality. I remember when he... So when he first... Um, the summer he came to Arsenal... This is just kind of uh, inside baseball, behind the scenes chat. But we at The Athletic got wind that Arsenal had bid um, big money in the region of sort of 40 million or so for a centre-back. And it was quite a fun detective game trying to figure out who that was. Mm. Because at that point in time, Ben White's name had not really been mentioned with any seriousness in connection to Arsenal um, and uh, eventually we were able to discover that it was Ben White and you start having conversations about the player you start I mean I didn't really know anything about him you know he was playing mm. at Brighton I knew he was doing well but you know as a person and as a player I didn't know him particularly well and you start speaking to people who've worked with him to assess the situation and assess, you know, the likelihood of the move. And I just remember someone close to, to Ben saying, he's absolutely fearless and saying he knows, and this is a time when he was at Brighton and not a big name in English football and certainly not someone who was thought of as a 50 million pound player. He knows he can go into any top club and play. And it, and, and, I remember saying, oh, would it be a distraction for him, you know, if it's going on during the World Cup? And they were just like, no, nothing will distract him. Nothing will worry him. He's got absolute confidence in his ability. Mm. It's just war off a duck's back. And sometimes when you speak to people about footballers, you're like, yeah, okay, you're talking up your man or whatever it might be. But in the case of Ben White, that's absolutely proven to be the case. He just takes every thing in his stride. And I'm full of admiration for that as a quality. Yeah. I think it's going to serve him incredibly well in his career. He's a confident player, confident mm-hmm. young man as well. You can see that in the way that he operates. And Yeah. You know, and he had a really good grounding and a good background. He comes from a, you know, it's a football cliche, but he comes from a really lovely family. Who don't like and- football at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is, yeah. And uh yeah, I, I you know, he's very set up. He can do yeah, he can do whatever he wants in the game and and uh, you know, his talent deserves to be seen on the world stage. So as much as I would like him to as much as he might like to just sort of go and chill out in Dubai uh, in the break, play a couple of friendlies, I think, you know, he he 
he really ought to be at that World Cup. Yeah. But let's see. All right. Well, look, uh, next mug we do will be the Ben White fan club mug. So we'll get that going. Um, he had his top off within seconds of full time yesterday. Within seconds. I saw that. I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just love. I just love everything about him. I really do. He's just such fun to watch as a as a player, and you know the post game stuff and like his, oh, oh, his oh, shenanigans. Oh, 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 Go on. So on Ben. Um. So Mikel Arteta adores Ben White, and you know he he came out with the quote yesterday. I, I love the boy, um, which I think many of us share that feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he is in some ways, the archetypal Arteta player. I'm not sure. I I think maybe it's just because it was such a big signing and such a big commitment to a player in a position where people were like, we don't even need somebody. Do you remember that? We've got centre-backs. We don't even need one. Um, And I just think stylistically, the fact he picks him all the time, for me, he is like Mikel's son. And there was a moment in the game, it was actually after he, that nutmeg when he conceded possession, where the, the press box is right in front of the dugout and Arteta span around and with his arms outstretched just to the rest of his staff went, what the fuck is Ben doing? <laughs> and and, <laughs> and it, was the, it was the kind of thing, it was like a father about a son, you know? It was pure exasperation. And then you see him at the end of the game and he's got him grabbing in the head by off. the face and yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah grabbing yeah. him by the face you can't take that out of him you can't take that you shouldn't you know what I mean no. you shouldn't take that out of him um and and actually the I think it's him again to talk about it I mean I'll never forget it that Jesus header because it would have been in the pantheon of Arsenal goals but white's involvement in it is typically nonchalant and, yes uh, yeah, yeah, just well, great. I, I I love him, and I think I think all Arsenal fans do. I think he the way he's playing. Well, you right. know, in in the same way that I don't necessarily trust people who don't like puppies. If you don't right. like Ben White, I'm going to keep like a beady eye on you. I'm not sure. Wouldn't yeah, be sure yeah. about you and your judgments on things. <laughs> all right, look, we better leave it there. This has gone long. Um, just to let you know, I just had a quick look at the Red Bubble site. Apparently, the mugs are not only are they on sale, but they're forty percent off today. I don't know why. I don't do this. It just sort of comes up. So, get the mug. It's in the link. Um, thank you as always for being here. Hope you enjoy the show. Um, enjoy our position at the top of the table, and we will catch you on the next one. Bye bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.